0: Good afternoon, and thank you to counsel for allowing us to begin a bit early. Uh, our last case of the day is State versus Woods, and Justice Berger is recused. We'll hear from the appellant.
1: Good afternoon, Your Honors, and may it please the court. My name is Aaron Johnson, and I represent Ms. Woods. If I could, I'd like to save seven minutes uh, for the rebuttal. Now, as alleged in the superseding indictment and as instructed to the jury, Ms. Woods was charged in this case with a rather technical offense, uh, embezzlement of a controlled substance by an employee of a registrant or practitioner under 90-108A14. At the close of the evidence, Ms. Woods moved to dismiss, and the trial court denied her motion. The Court of Appeals majority then affirmed. And this court should reverse for two main reasons. Uh, The first, and I just plan to touch on this a little bit unless there are questions, uh, is that the evidence did not show that CVS was a registrant as defined by statute. Uh, This was a sole theory of employer status that was alleged in the superseding indictment and the sole theory that was submitted to the jury. Uh, And I don't think there's any dispute that this was an essential element of the offense. Uh, So that is one basis for reversal. The second reason and the one i plan to focus on today is that what the evidence showed was not embezzlement um, our position on this is i think fairly straightforward uh, again the statute at issue is 90-108 and uh, 14 and whatever else that statute might be plausibly interpreted to cover uh, when the state invokes that statute to charge embezzlement that's the offense it's required to prove uh, and embezzlement, before sort of a long but
2: before, before, we, before we get there, Mr. Johnson, what, uh, your the, the author of the state's brief made a brief allusion to a contention that embezzlement is used in the indictment was surplusage. Why admit not it surplusage? Uh,
1: why is it surplusage?
2: It is not surplusage. Well, t- t- tell me why. And the reason I ask that is, it, 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 it looks like the pattern, whoever wrote the pattern, can come up with like six different offenses out of this uh, statute. Sure. The uh, indictment seems to me, at a minimum, to allege um, that the uh, that Ms. Woods was an employee of a registrant. Now, you've already made your position clear. I'm not trying to get into the registrant issue. Yeah. Uh, uh, who had access? Who had access to controlled substances by virtue of her employment? Did and I'm going to skip over embe- embezzlement for a second. Uh-huh. Fraudulently, knowingly, and willfully misapply and divert to an unauthorized use oxycodone, a controlled substance. That charges. That language by itself charges one of the components of this statute, at least as it is outlined in the. Uh, uh, Pattern jury instructions, doesn't it?
1: So it sounds to me like you're really asking sort of about two different uh, issues. Uh, One is surplusage, sort of for purposes of this case, and I don't think you can treat it that way because the offense has been called embezzlement.
2: Well, does it matter what the offense is called or does it matter what the state is required to prove and what the jury is charged that it has to find in order for the uh, defendant to be convicted?
1: think it matters when it's a term like embezzlement that has acquired a more or less settled meaning over time Um, and that was the term sort of used throughout this case uh, in the arrest form in the original indictment in the body and caption of the superseding indictment Um, the state called it embezzlement uh, during jury selection uh, during opening statements and closing arguments it says embezzlement on the verdict form. It was called that in the instructions and in the judgment.
2: And, and, and so, in your your view, the fact that that label was consistently applied, therefore, makes the word embezzlement an essential element and therefore not surplusage.
1: Well, that's part of it. Um, that okay.
2: Well, what's the what's the rest of it, in case I'm well, not sure the, I'm the fully. Well, the part
1: with. that I wanted to get to was I think the sort of broader question of statutory interpretation. Um, because I think there is something to the state's argument that the has access to language is a little bit broader than the traditional understanding of um, embezzlement, which requires rightful access, that it be entrusted to the defendant and, and um, rightfully received. And the, looking at some, uh, so to try to make sense of that, I think it can help to look at some of the uh, canons of construction that you talked about in Fletcher, in um, both the majority and in the uh, separate opinion in that case. Um, And there are two that I think are particularly relevant here. Um, One is prior construction, when you have a term like embezzlement that acquires a settled meaning. uh, That meaning sort of goes with it when you use it again in the future. Um, The second part is trying to give effect to every word of the legislative text. And the only way I think you can do that for both of these the has access to language that's in the statute and in the, um, the superseding indictment and the rightful possession element of embezzlement is to view the statute as creating at least two different offenses. Well, 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 of let, me, of let, me, let
2: me back up a second here. The jury was instructed that it could convict the defendant if the jury found first that the defendant was an employee of a registrant CDS pharmacy. Mm-hmm. Secondly, that while acting as the registrant's employee, the defendant rightfully received or had access to and received a Schedule II controlled substance. And third, that the defendant fraudulently, knowingly, and willfully misapplied or diverted that substance to an illegal or unauthorized use. Now, if the jury finds, is it your contention that a finding by the jury of those three facts would not suffice to support a conviction under this statute?
1: It is our contention that it would not suffice to support a conviction for embezzlement.
2: Well, but the, I mean, the, the, that's, and that's what I'm trying to get to is other than the fact that the word embezzlement was used in the indictment and other than the fact that embezzlement was used throughout the trial, mm-hmm. including at other places in these instructions, mm-hmm. as a shorthand definition of what the defendant was charged with, Why is embezzlement not surplusage? Because the indictment alleges an offense under the statute that doesn't involve embezzlement. The judge did not charge the jury that that the jury had to find embezzlement. Our law is pretty clear that if language in an indictment is surplusage, it's disregarded.
1: Well, let me point to two other parts of the indictment, then, that might help to to narrow this down and show that this was charging embezzlement. If you have a copy of it in front of you, it's at the bottom. I think it might be the very last sentence. At the time, the defendant was over 16 years of age and was the agent and employee of CVS Pharmacy, Incorporated, and that in that capacity had been entrusted to receive the property described above and did receive and take into her care and possession that property, the entrusting language points to embezzlement. That language doesn't make sense, I think, outside of a charge of embezzlement. And there's also the language at the beginning of that, the defendant was over 16 years of age. That doesn't appear, I think, in 90-108 A14. But it does appear in embezzlement as uh, codified in 14-90. I think it's 14-90 a But a different embezzlement statute does include as an element that the defendant has to be over 16 years of age. Uh, So I think when you consider these together, uh, Ms. Woods was charged with embezzlement, and so it's our position that the state was required to prove that offense.
2: And and you said, I hate to beat the dead horse, but I want to make sure that I understand you. You say that she was charged with embezzlement because that was the word that was used to describe the offense at various times in the... Uh, in the course of the proceedings
1: in the indictment and through the course of the proceedings and with these additional allegations that don't really make much sense outside of a charge of embezzlement okay so yes that is our position okay. on that um, and the evidence in this uh, case was pretty clear there were four witnesses who testified at trial and all four of them testified uh, that she did not receive the medications that issued rightfully uh, they were not entrusted to her um, she obtained them by helping to forge one or more prescriptions. And so whether or not she could have been guilty of some other offense, uh, she could not have been guilty of embezzlement, and because it is our position that that is the offense with which she was charged, it should have been dismissed. And
2: there's, again, I'm breaking my own self-limitation here, but there, GS 15A-924 provides that if a count of an indictment alleges multiple offenses within the same count, that the remedy for that is for the defendant to file a motion requiring the state to elect between the two charges. That no such motion was made in this case, right? That is correct. Okay.
3: And just to follow up on that, again, looking at the very specific language of the indictment here, Mm -hmm. the dissent in the Court of Appeals seemed to Draw a lot of significance from the fact that the indictment says embezzle and fraudulently knowingly. Is is, is it if, if this indictment had said embezzle or fraudulently, would that would we be in a different circumstance? Uh, I
1: think our argument would be more or less the same. This is a pretty straightforward sufficiency issue. Um, it is our position that, that she was charged with embezzlement under this statute. Uh, So that is the offense that the state was required to prove, which includes proving uh, rightful receipt, rightful possession of the medications at issue. Um, And because that's not what the evidence showed, it should have been dismissed. As
0: to the conjunction and versus the conjunction or, uh, which was broached when uh, Justice Searles just asked the question, uh, would the same logic apply in the possession with intent to sell or deliver series of offenses uh, in terms of what you're arguing today, in terms of the term often used, sell and deliver, as opposed to sell or deliver? Would you have the same kind of uh, logic uh, in those circumstances as well?
1: Well, I, I know that offenses are often sort of pled in the conjunctive and then sort of proved in the disjunctive. Um, but it's our position that embezzlement, as traditionally understood, requires rightful receipt and rightful possession, and so when you don't have rightful uh, receipt or rightful possession, then you don't have embezzlement. So this could be, as I think Justice Irvin was sort of pointing to, uh, a situation where the indictment almost charges two different offenses, one of which is embezzlement, and I think when you pair that with the repeated references throughout the rest of the trial proceedings to embezzlement, I think it's fair to say that that is the offense the state was required to prove.
0: In that sense, then, uh, taking a literal approach as opposed to a surplusage approach, um, for my purposes in terms of, again, likening it to a sale and deliver versus a sale or deliver, which the or language is what is what appears in statute, you would say that, applying your logic, sale and deliver would have to prove in such a case both the sale and the delivery as opposed to the sale or delivery as opposed to a surplusage analysis?
1: I mean, it basically boils down to the use of the term embezzlement in the indictment and throughout the trial proceedings as to why the state was required to prove that offense and not some other offense.
0: So with the statute at issue here, you are – taking the position that, in light of the statutory language, uh, arguably confusing as it may be, that both embezzlement and the remainder of that statute would have to jointly be proven by the state in order to be able to get a conviction?
1: If my interpretation of the statute is right, that the only way to give effect to both parts of that, the has access to language uh, in the statute, and then the rightful possession component of embezzlement, And if those are two different offenses, and those are, it does seem that the state would have to elect one versus the other and could not charge them both in the same count of a single indictment. Does that make sense?
0: Well, it does, uh, as I attempt to understand your argument, with the conjunction and being used, it just appears as though both would need to be proven uh, in terms of the state being able to get a conviction that could be upheld.
1: I think that it comes back to kind of the same position, and I I hate to keep repeating myself, but the use of the term embezzlement in the indictment and throughout the proceedings was, the way they described it at trial court, this was on defense counsel, kept saying that the state had chosen a horse to ride, which was embezzlement. And so it was required to prove embezzlement, and that's basically the same position that we have here.
0: Well, help me to appreciate your argument this way if embezzlement was not the issue here, but the remainder of the language in the statute, if embezzlement had been proven arguably, but not the remainder of the statute, would the conviction need to be thrown out then because the remainder of the statute was not arguably proven because the term and it was used in a conjunctive fashion?
1: If they, if they had not charged embezzlement and had use the additional, the other language in the statute and refer to it as something like um, diversion or misapplication and then proven those elements under the statute, then I think that sort of uh, conviction could stand. But having chosen to charge embezzlement and with everyone referring to the offense at issue as embezzlement throughout the proceedings in the trial court, again, that is our position that the state was required to prove that offense.
4: L- let me ask you, let me jump in and see if I can confuse things further okay um, the um, as I understand the state's argument and I could be I could be missing something here um, the, it, the argument is that willful misapplication is a definition of embezzlement under the statute and that that was properly charged in the indictment and instructed upon and therefore the conviction is valid is that
1: I think that uh I mean, I'll, I'll let the state argue its own position, but I think they're trying to use the "has access language that appears in the statute and in the indictment to say that the conviction was valid because she had access to the medications that issued by virtue of her employment at CVS Pharmacy. So I'm not sure if that, uh, if that quite addresses your question.
4: So are you... Or is it your argument that the statutory definition of embezzlement under subsection 14 does not, is not a, one alternative definition of embezzlement, can't be willful misapplication of the substance? Do you, do you understand my question?
1: I do think that willful uh, misapplication can be a way of proving embezzlement, but it still has to be rightfully received. Um, and this was actually one of the issues that came up in one of the earlier cases uh, in this court. I think it was um, McDonald from 1903 where, yeah, the defendant was charged with embezzlement and moved for a dismissal based on a fatal variance because then accused of converting it to his own use but had actually misapplied it and used it towards different debts for the employer. So there are, I think I can agree that there are multiple ways of committing embezzlement, but they also retain that element of requiring rightful receipt or rightful um, possession of the property at issue. And that's what differentiates um, embezzlement from other types of theft offenses. If there's a trespass, and I know you were discussing this earlier, um, and I think Boyd, if there is a trespass, then it could be something like larceny. If there are false pretenses or deceit, it could be something like obtaining property by false pretenses. And this court has held in a number of cases that false pretenses is mutually exclusive with embezzlement, that you cannot have both convictions based on the same set of facts. Because? Because obtaining property by false pretenses requires proof that the property was acquired unlawfully at the outset, um, whereas embezzlement requires proof that it was entrusted to the defendant. Uh, The cases that... Offer this holding most clearly are probably Mumford, um, to some extent in Weaver, and then in Speckman, uh, an opinion from I think 1990. So this court has held in a number of cases that obtaining property by false pretenses and embezzlement are mutually exclusive. Um, And so this sort of brings us back to our our main contention of this is that when the state charges embezzlement that's the offense it's required to prove. So
2: so basically where we wind up is if you, you know, you, for you to prevail, you have to persuade us that embezzlement has to be proven in order for a finding of guilt to occur here. Yes. First, that's first. And secondly, that the, no such showing has been made here for the reason that you've been just been discussing with Justice Hudson. Yes. And if we disagree with either one of those two uh, propositions... Uh, your chances are not as good
1: if you can sustain a conviction without proving embezzlement um, i do think that there was sufficient evidence to support a finding that she had access to uh, and that does fall within the statute and it so, does-
2: so, so so at least but 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 to go back to your and my earlier discussion the crux of the case require is is whether or not you are successful in establishing that embezzlement, as traditionally understood, has to be proven in this case based on the record that we've got before us. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yes, I think I would agree with that. Okay. And that basically is our position, that that's what the state charged, that's what it had to prove. And the evidence did not show that. It showed, if anything, something closer to a species of false pretense, which this court has repeatedly held is not consistent with a conviction for embezzlement. So I think I've touched on most of the issues I wanted to address on this. So if there are no further questions on this particular or on the other issues raised in the brief, then I'll save the rest of my time for rebuttal. Okay, thank you.
0: Thank you, counsel. We'll hear from the FLE.
5: Good afternoon, Mr. Chief Justice. May it please the court. My name is Jessica Sutton, I am Special Deputy Attorney General of the North Carolina Department of Justice I represent the state in this matter. The issue presented before the court today is whether or not the trial court erred in denying the defendant's motion to dismiss. In short, it did not. The state provided sufficient evidence to establish every element of embezzlement of a controlled substance by an employee of a registrant under section 90-108 A14. That was the only statute that the defendant has been charged with violating. And the elements of that crime were the only elements that the state was required to establish. The state did in fact establish every element articulated in section 90-108 A14. In particular, the state provided evidence and uh, my colleague, I think, just informed and agreed to this point to the court that the defendant had access to controlled substances by virtue of her employment. In addition, the state established that the defendant was employed by CBS, which was a registrant under the North Carolina Controlled Substances Act. Therefore, considering all the evidence in the light most favorable to the state, a juror could reasonably infer that the defendant did commit embezzlement of a controlled substance by an employee of a registrant under section 90.108A14 and there was no error in denying the defendant's motion to dismiss. Just to set the stage a little bit, motions to dismiss are reviewed by this court de novo and the motion must be denied if there is substantial element of each essential element of the crime and that the defendant was the perpetrator. So long as there is a scintilla of real and competent evidence to support the allegations, the case must be submitted to the jury. The weight of the evidence is a question for the jury and not the court. And again, the court must consider the evidence in the light most favorable to the state, which is entitled to every reasonable inference that can be drawn from that evidence. The trial court correctly held, and the Court of Appeals affirmed, that the state here had provided sufficient evidence to establish each element of embezzlement of a controlled substance by an employee of a registrant under Section 9108A14, in particular, the Court of Appeals found that the state had demonstrated that defendant had access to controlled substances by virtue of her employment, as is required by the statute.
0: Under your view, we need not concern ourselves about surplusage. You're not relying upon that prospect at all.
5: If I'm understanding Your Honor's question correctly, the, the, the what the crime that the defendant was charged with here was having access to the controlled substances and then willfully diverting them to the use, for her use or someone else's use. And so that is the construction of the statute that we are that we are interpreting here.
0: All right, I, I, I wanna make sure we're using the same words and the same construction of those words. Mm-hmm. Are you relying at all upon the potential legal view that the term surplus uh, the term embezzlement is used in a fashion that could be considered surplusage and that embezzlement did not need to be proved by the state in order to get a conviction under this statute under this uh, indictment
5: and your honor I may be, I may be misunderstanding um, okay. your, your question of surplusage and so I, I do apologize but let me let me try to see if I'm answering.
0: Well, it's most likely me after lunch. Uh, the fact is uh, the, the, the conjunction and is used to charge embezzlement along with another part of the statute. And there is uh, some uh, discussion today that if arguably embezzlement was not proven, then the conviction of the defendant could still be upheld, because although embezzlement on its elements may not have been proven, that the remainder of that statute in artfully arguably uh, read uh, nonetheless was proven. Are you relying at all upon the surplusage aspect that embezzlement didn't have to be proven in order for the conviction to be upheld because the rest of the statute was proven in the indictment language
5: yes your honor we, we are the, the position of the state here is that the the fact that the indictment used the word and and the statute uses the word uh, or pardon me the differences in the conjunction is not a fatal variance for the for the decision below and the the state as uh, the, the, the the prosecutor here opted to use the, the second part of that phrase, the and I want to make sure I quote the statute accurately, the fraudulent or knowingly and willfully misapply or divert to his or her own use, and it was that language that the that was that was proven at trial and that the um, the trial court charged the jury with.
0: Was embezzlement proven here?
5: Well, I think that comes to how you want to define embezzlement. I would argue that embezzlement of a controlled substance by an employee of a registrant under section 9108 was proven here. Um, The defendant was not charged with embezzlement of property under 1490. um, But the the crime of embezzlement of a controlled substance by an employee of a registrant under 9108 A14 was was proven and was um, that that decision was affirmed by the by the trial court? By, I'm sorry, by the court of appeals below.
3: Can I just ask you um, on what basis we would conclude that embezzlement in this statute means something different than embezzlement generally, and and in particular? The statute seems to me to cover all sorts of employees of a registrant and that some of those employees might be people who do legally have possession of the controlled substances at some point and could embezzle them under the traditional definition of embezzlement. And then there's other employees, um, like arguably the defendant here, who do, who do not ever have act, um, lawful uh, Possession of controlled substances isn't that correct?
5: Yes. So the the North Carolina Controlled Substances Act, um, which ninety one hundred eight a fourteen is included as a part of, did um, expand for the purpose of um, helping to address the problem of drug diversion. the 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 universe of people who would fall under. Um, the scope of that statute. So as your honor has recognized, individuals who have mere access to the controlled substances by the virtue of their employment, like the defendant at issue here, would fall under the scope of section 90.108, even though I would, they arguably would not fall under the scope of embezzlement in the traditional sense under section 14.90, because they do not have the, the rightful possession of the property at issue. So I think, I, I apologize if I was very long-winded, but Section 9108 did expand um, the, the concept of embezzlement of a controlled substance by an employee of a registration.
4: So let me just make sure I'm, I'm following. As I hear your argument, you're saying there are two types of embezzlement, basically. The traditional embezzlement under chapter 14, Mm -hmm. with which she was not charged, Mm -hmm. and then embezzlement as defined and as charged here under chapter 90-108 sub-14. And that that second definition of embezzlement was adequately shown here in accordance with the indictment.
5: Yes, that, that crime of 9108A14
4: was was shown here by the indictment and by the, the conviction of the jury in the trial court. Okay, and you but and you're not really disagreeing that they have different definitions and maybe different elements.
5: I do. I, I absolutely agree that they do have different definitions. For instance, there's the fact that 9108A14, an an individual can be found. One element of that offense is that. Someone has access to the controlled substances by the virtue of their employment, which is a different standard than having rightful possession of that property. Additionally,
3: but sorry, but, but but my question was really why? Why would we? What in the statute suggests that embezzlement? The the general assembly's use of the word embezzle here was intended to have a different meaning than it embezzle has and embezzlement has in every other context, when this statute can actually cover actual employees of registrants who do embezzle under the traditional understanding.
5: I think that employee, the, the, the statute does if the employee is one who is authorized to possess the controlled substances. Right. And so they fall under that that provision of 9108A. But if someone merely has access to the controlled substances by virtue of their employment, that's when the the second prong of the second element under 9108A comes into play, which is the knowingly, willfully, or, um, I'm sorry, fraudulently or knowingly and willfully misapplying or diverting to his or her own use.
3: And, and, and so that, I follow that, and that all makes sense. And I think my question is just, given that, given what you've just described and explained, why do we need to ascribe any new meaning or understanding to the word embezzle or embezzlement, as it's used in this statute? In other words, it seems to me that, the, that there are multiple crimes covered by this single statute. Mm-hmm. Some of them are embezzlement, as it's traditionally and always been understood. Others are the, the willful misdirecting and, and misapplying by an employee who may not have um, lawful possession, but is otherwise, um, this statute makes that activity unlawful.
5: And so I think that's the, 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 the statute is, is, has been, it was written to expand the, the universe of, of individuals who would fall under embezzlement of a controlled substance by an employee of a registrant under under the statute. Um, the other the other major difference, um, going back to, to Justice Hudson, your question between the statute and fourteen ninety is that fourteen ninety discusses the the conversion of the property under 1490 B two, whereas the statute um, mentions the the diversion of the property. Um, so these statutes are do address different conduct again by a different um, universe of people who would fall under under the scope of 9108 A14. Um, and again the the defendant here was charged under 9108. She was not charged under 1490. Um, so there's no, um, because she was charged under 9108 and not 1490, there's, there's no requirement that the elements of 1490 have to be proven here. And especially that she had rightful possession of the property because in both the indictment and in the evidence presented, um, At trial, and as the Court of Appeals found, she had access to the controlled substances by virtue of her employment. Um, Second, the the state also presented evidence here to establish that the defendant was an employee of a registrant. Um, She was an employee, uh, or I'm sorry, she was a pharmacy technician employed by CVS, and the state put on substantial evidence that CVS is in fact a registrant under the statute. Um, so I think it, there's, from the, from the state's perspective, the, the motion to dismiss here was, um, was properly denied and the, the Court of Appeals decision below should be affirmed. And if there are no further questions, then I will rest on my brief.
0: Thank you, counsel.
1: Thank you, Your Honors. Um, It's late in the day, so I'll try to be quick. Uh, uh, Justice Earls, no, there is no real reason to think that the General Assembly would use the term embezzlement if they didn't mean to incorporate the understanding of embezzlement as that statute had been construed. And that is especially true, I think, if you look uh, at other places in the statute particularly at section uh, A-10, which seems to be almost tailor-made for the type of offense in this case. Um, And uh, number two, Justice Morgan, no, the state did not prove embezzlement. That was alleged in the indictment, and it has been called embezzlement at virtually every stage of the proceedings in the trial court. Um, And so that's the offense the state was required to prove. Um, And they did not show rightful possession, so they did not show embezzlement. And so if there are no further questions,
4: So I take it you do not agree with the uh, proposition that there are two different definitions of embezzlement. No,
1: no, I do not agree with that. I think you could read the statute to create two different offenses, one of which is embezzlement, and one of which is something else that you could possibly call um, maybe misapplication or diversion, but not embezzlement, which has acquired a settled meeting uh, over time. So if there are no further questions... I would ask this court to reverse, and thank you.
0: Thank you, counsel. Thank you to both of you again for allowing us to begin uh, earlier than scheduled. Mr. Clerk.